I'm an operator, I'm an executive, I work for the company, I'm a loyal employee for a quarter century, but I'm also a woman and I'd love to see other women um, come up through the company and I'd love to see a lot more women be able to get to where I am. And then I'd just like to see women get ahead in life more. Command and control. That's what Kathy Scola did at Rent-A-Center starting just a few months out of college and then for the next 18 years. From working the desk to driving a truck and even working in collections, she worked in almost every aspect of the business until finally she was tapped to step into a new kind of role. Influencer, not the social media kind, and motivator, and ultimately executive vice president of franchising, overseeing 50 to 60 franchisees. While this company is all the successful entrepreneurista and working mom has ever known in her 26-year career, her current place in it was fought for strategically, and now she's playing a role in empowering other women to be leaders. Coming up, you'll hear about how women can do a better job of drawing attention to the things they do well, why moving into a franchising role was the biggest risk she ever took, why she was willing to make someone uncomfortable to find out why she really didn't get a promotion. The value of naming an advocate for yourself. What she thinks about keeping work at work and home at home. Why showing your career and imperfections to your kids is a good idea. And Kathy's advice for moving up within an organization. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women executives or intrapreneistas are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Kathy, thank you so much for joining us today. No, thank you guys for having me. This is fantastic. I've been listening to you for a while. It's great to be here. Oh, good. Oh, We're so thank happy you. to hear that. So you started at Rent-A-Center over 26 years ago. Can you tell us a little bit about your career and how you got started there? Yeah, absolutely. It's actually um, interesting. Not not what I set out to do when I went and left home for college. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, uh, I studied Russian and Soviet area studies at Dickinson College in Pennsylvania and then um, and was an exchange student, studied abroad, and spent about six months there in Russia after I finished school, too, and then moved back home. And um, I'm from New Jersey, so I moved back in with my parents after I came back as you know, the big world traveler. And it was time to go get a job and get ready to start paying student loans. And, uh, and surprisingly, in Atlantic City, New Jersey, there were not a lot of jobs for <laughs> Russian Soviet area studies majors. Go figure. So I don't <laughs> I don't know why. I guess I should have listened to my parents um, earlier. But um, so I needed a job and they wanted me to get one. And um, I was just answered one day an ad for Rent-A-Center. And it was a local store in um, Pleasantville, New Jersey, which is right outside of Atlantic City. And that was uh, supposed to be my temporary job. I was going to go work there for a little while until I got the job I really wanted and found the career I really wanted. And um, and it turned out that you know, 26 years later, you know, quarter century plus later, I'm still there, you know, and ended up being um, exciting, something I'd never done before, something I didn't see myself doing. But um, it was, it was a, an interesting environment. It was challenging. It just kept giving me new, interesting things to do. And, and, um, you know, again, a quarter century later, I really never had a chance or 
had a chance to leave, but probably never a reason to leave. What was your first role there? Uh, I started out in an entry-level position. So I was like, I don't know how much you guys are familiar with Rent-A-Center, but um, we do deliveries and, you know, we do collections and we do sales in the store and and people are all sort of generalists where they do everything mm -hmm. everybody does everything so i started out in the entry level bottom position which was um doing the sales in the store doing the deliveries of the stuff which was included furniture and TVs what does that mean? And... You're doing the deliveries. Are you driving the trucks? Yeah, or... we're driving oh, the trucks. Wow. So you really did everything. Yeah, yeah, everything. <laughs> so, um, so I don't know if you've seen. So we have vans and these box cube trucks, like grocery delivery trucks. Um, so yeah, you have to be able to drive both of them, which I'd never done before. <laughs> did you have to get a license to learn no, how to drive a truck? Okay. No, you don't. Need a, it's like the smallest <laughs> truck you can get without needing a CDL. I think that's what it's called for the bigger trucks. Um, but um, yeah, so you had to learn how to you know, do that and back those things up with the, you know, with the beeping sound and everything. Um, but yeah, delivering the furniture and the, you know, the TVs and everything. Now I was, I was pretty good at sales. So I stayed in the store most of the time because they wanted me selling, but I um, also had to do collections. Um, so, you know, calling people on the phone, telling them they missed their payment, making arrangements for them to come and pay us and, you know, making arrangements for them to return the merchandise to us if they couldn't pay us. Um, so all of it, just everything, just right from the, you know, from the ground up, spending time with customers in their houses, showing them how to program the remote for the television. And, you know, back then there were, you know, the paper manuals, so you'd have to go through it with them. Um, so it was, yeah, it was interesting, but, but, uh, learn the business at a really good fundamental level, mm -hmm. which I think just helped me later, you know, it, it advanced through the company and it helps me now with, you know, with the role that I have today. So how did you work your way up in the company? So you started in this entry-level position. How long did it take you to, to move up? And what kept you there? Yeah, so what kept me there was actually was, was moving up in the company. You know, every, every couple years, it seemed like I had the opportunity to do something different. But the, the first 18 years was all sort of this linear advancement through operations. So started out... Uh, customer account rep, then became assistant manager, then became store manager, then became district manager, then became regional director, division vice president, senior vice president, executive vice president. And that sounds really cool. Like I did that, you know, overnight. <laughs> but I like to joke that, you know, it was like far from an overnight sensation that, you know, that was that was 26 years that I just described in, you know, 10 seconds. But, um, but I always got to the next level and then started looking towards the level after that. Um, so for the first 18 years, it was just right in a row. And then um, my uh, my boss, 18 years into it, came to me and said, hey, we've got this, um, this opportunity running our franchise division, which I'd never done anything other mm -hmm. than operations. I started with Renaissance Center six months out of college. So that's all I'd ever known. Certainly didn't know anything about the franchise business. Um, and it took about a month for my boss and then the CEO at the time to sort of talk with me and I won't say talk me into it. I mean, I made the decision, but they certainly, <laughs> certainly influenced me to take it. And, um, and it was really scary because it was something that I'd never done and um, didn't really have any really understanding of what it was. I knew at the time that, that, that division of the company was kind of struggling and the franchisees weren't really happy and that's why they made a change. And um, they just convinced me that, oh, this is, you know, it's not a big deal. It's just like what you've been doing as a division vice president. And, you know, you'll 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 love it. And um, and it was really, really frightening at first because the franchisees were uh, are independent business people. Mm -hmm. So up until then, I was always when I was an operator, I was always the smartest person in the room when everyone 
was junior to me in the room, if that makes sense. I'd go into a store and, you know, if you're the senior person, everyone's kind of telling you, you know, you're, everything that comes out of your mouth is, you know, it's like the gospel of, of, <laughs> of, of the business world. Yeah. And, and, um, and you start dealing with franchisees and independent entrepreneurs and, you know, they will quickly tell you that you don't know what you're doing, what you're talking about, that they know better um, because a lot of times they do. And it was just, it was a different experience, but really, really uh, cool, just uh, change from being able to do this command and control management thing that I'd been doing all this time and having to pivot towards being more of an influencer than a teller, you know, mm -hmm. and um, getting people to be on your side because you're talking them into it because you're telling them what's in it for them and how it's going to benefit them versus just do it because I'm senior to you and I told you so. How many franchisees are there? Uh, we have about 330 franchise stores today across all of our brands. Um, it's about 50 or 60 franchisees, something like that. Um, so, yeah, franchise owners and partnerships all in. We have, you know. And how know. long have you been in the, this role overseeing uh, So this role I've been in for eight years almost now. And um, and I'm hooked. So, I mean, it's <laughs> it's really – um, it's changed the way I thought about my career completely. You know, I thought mm -hmm. I was always going to be, you know, in operations running like these big divisions of, you know, whether it was our retail brand or some other retail brand. But um, franchising is just so interesting because you meet so many interesting people from the person who owns one store and runs it themselves to the person who came to us because they have a bunch of hotels or a bunch of restaurants or, you know, or just looking to diversify their brand that have lots of money and want to come in and, and buy 50 of our stores at one time. So um, it's just in dealing with banks, dealing with, um, you know, the franchisees and, and the role is really sort of being a liaison between them and the corporation, which is, which is interesting. You know, it's not, it's not always an easy place to be because a lot of times I end up with everybody mad at me yeah. <laughs> uh, trying to, trying to make everybody happy, but, um, but it's still fun. We've spoken to a few people, uh, a few entrepreneurs who are about to, or in the process of franchising their business. Mm -hmm. And they've talked about, you know, a lot of the challenges, mm -hmm. but something that surprised me was that in their businesses, there's a specific type of person who's the best fit to run that particular mm -hmm. business. So who is the who is the type of person that is most equipped to to run a rena center? Yeah. So right now, um, the the company strategy is to look at different areas of the country and figure out um, there's some places that are probably just better to have locally owned mm -hmm. and operated. Some some markets that um, that are like we sold the whole state of Arizona last year. We just this year sold the. Um, the uh, entire Baltimore, Washington metro mm -hmm. area to a franchisee. So there's some areas where we just think that um, that locally owned and operated just will make better sense than us trying to run everything out of Plano, Texas. But um, the uh, the people that have been coming to us and the people that we're looking for, it's really a small group of people that are these large multi-unit uh, owners of other brands mm -hmm. that are looking to diversify. So people in the food sector right now, um, you know, minimum wages going up, um, you know, not just in the food sector, but anything where you need a lot of employees, it's kind of scary mm -hmm. with, the, with the minimum wage laws. And our stores are run with five people. Um, and it's this tiny niche business, but it's, um, you know, runs with five people. It's pretty profitable. And a lot of folks are coming to us. And now sort of a word of, word of mouth is getting out amongst this investor group that, um, that it's a good diversification 
play for them. Um, so our ideal person is probably somebody who's got a bunch of Dunkin' Donuts mm. or Hilton's or, um, you know, some other kind of, you know, Taco Bell or something along those lines that's just looking to say, hey, you know, maybe I don't want to put all of my money in food or all of my money in hotels and, you know, put it into this little, you know, sort of interesting little business that a lot of people haven't even heard of if you've never had mm-hmm. a reason to use it. So not a first-time entrepreneur who just wants to get into franchising. Yeah, no, probably, no, no, no. No, it wouldn't be someone who was the first time. And then we take those people because they don't really have a knowledge of the business. I think um, I think the other folks that, you, that you're talking about um, are looking for that person that, that can run the business because they have the expertise mm-hmm. in that business. You know, they, um, they'll be a good owner operator. And a lot of franchise concepts, you know, do that model. With us, it's taking this investor and then putting them with an operating partner that has that type of expertise. So that same person that owns a bunch of Taco Bells would not know the first thing about how to run rent to own stores and do sales and collections and deliveries and make all that work with five people in the store. But we have a group of people like myself Mm -hmm. that came up through operations that we put them with that become their operating partner. And it really has worked out well for for everyone, you know, works out well for the investor, works out well for these folks who are all my former peers, you know, over time that now become entrepreneurs themselves. And um, it's really neat to be able to sort of be the person to put them together too. So how does marketing the rent centers work when you have franchisees and you also have these own stores as mm-hmm. well? How are you able to keep all of the messaging consistent? Yeah. So the, the franchisees pay into the national advertising fund, which is uh, pretty common in franchising, mm-hmm. the NAF. Um, they pay a percentage into it. And, um, and then they, then we have a really great group of talented marketing folks internally. And then we use an agency as well. Um, that decide where and how to spend the money. Um, but the franchisees have a lot of input in it. We do probably two calls a month with the Franchise Advisory Council yeah. that we have. And because their money is in this fund, we they really have a pretty good voice in how we spend it. Um, but And they can also spend some money uh, locally with our, with our approval over the marketing. And we really encourage that. We actually just changed our model a little bit to have them pay a little bit less into the National Advertising Fund, but require them to spend more locally to um, really promote their business in their markets, whether it's Baltimore or, or Arizona or anywhere else. Is that the responsibility of the operating partner to handle the marketing locally? Yeah, it both. So the owners, some owners are more involved than others. Um, most of the time, the operating partner would probably be the best person to say what they think they need, but mm-hmm. they're also not expert marketers. So and that's really something I've come to learn over time. You know, us operators always think we know everything about marketing and it's so easy and, you know, they don't know what they're doing there. But um when you really understand it, you really understand that you you don't know anything. Like you mm-hmm. really you need to stay in your lane and stay with operations and try and lean on the folks that have the expertise in marketing to do it. But so the the operator would come up with the ideas and our marketing folks would sort of try and steer them in the right direction and make sure that to your point the messaging is consistent and it you know doesn't put the brand at risk and and you know any of that because that's 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 the risk in franchising, right? If you have if you pick a bad partner, you pick someone who's who's not going to have the right stuff out there in social media or, you know, I mean, and it works both ways. Obviously, the folks on the corporate side could do the same and have a negative impact on the franchisees. So um, so we do monitor, try to monitor very closely. And have you been able to grow your team over the past few years since you've started in this role? Yeah. So um, in this role in particular, it was prior to it, the, uh, the team of operators were all just really 
looking for more people like me, yeah. you know, so <laughs> I would, I'd get promoted, I'd have somebody, you know, ready to take over um, for me that was like me, that was a good operator and knew how to run stores and knew how to get people to do what they were supposed to do. But when I took over the franchise group, again, knowing very early on that I did not know what I was doing, um, quickly knew enough to know that I needed to get some people around me that did know what they mm. were doing. So um, so I, I, for the first time, had to go out and try and find people that weren't like me, people that knew things that I didn't know and probably didn't know the things that I did know. But that was OK. I, I, knew, I knew how to run stores mm-hmm. and I could help franchisees with that. But I need people with expertise in the franchise business. So the first thing I did was I was on the job for about 30 days and I went out and hired um, a vice president of franchise development um, with just his whole career had been in franchising. So perfect compliment to my yeah. skill set because, of course, he didn't know anything about the rent-to-own business. And um, and we you know, did very well together, still right-hand person in the division today, um, and uh, just a great compliment. And then from there, we filled out the rest of the the team, um, which is not large. You know, the direct people that report to me is not a large group of people. They're just basically the people that have a full-time job supporting our franchisees. But what I have now is a much larger group of cross-functional departments across our company that I, you know, I like to say I have influence over but not direct authority over <laughs> Um that you know that I work with on a day-to-day basis. So I work with our marketing team. I work with our purchasing team because the franchisees buy their products through us. And um, I work through our finance team. I you know work through different people when we're selling stores to our franchisees and real estate and all those different things. So it's really uh, it's really interesting going back to that influencing versus telling. You know, mm-hmm. at first you think to to get things done in a large company, everyone has to report to me and, you know, I have to be everybody's boss so I can tell them what to do. And um, this this sort of makes you makes you better at influencing. It's just, it's the same skill set you need to use yeah. with the franchisees is is uh, getting people who don't necessarily have to do what you say. Well, ultimately, I guess they they, they do if I, you know, I push it <laughs> enough. But but um, but just trying to influence the group to, you know, keep moving in the right direction, make sure that that the company's goals, you know, as it relates to the, the franchise growth um, happen the right way. Did you have a mentor within within your organization that helped you as you moved up the ranks? You know, I didn't. Um, it's, it's a great question. So there are um, very few women <laughs> in our in our company. Um, so I never really had a a uh, sort of a female role model, you know, which which presented some challenges mm-hmm. along the way. You know, I like I like to consider it like myself to be that mm-hmm. today for people, but coming up I didn't really have that. But what I did have were um a couple great male sponsors that um that helped me along the way that really um you know helped sh- sort of shine a light on the things I was doing, helped get me to to a couple different levels and uh you know, in 26 years, I can I've worked for a lot of different people, but I can really po- point to two that just took an active interest in helping me and making sure that people knew the, th- the things that I was doing well and pointing out things that I should try and, you know, try uh, promotions that I should apply for and things that I should put myself out there for. So grateful to yeah. grateful to them today because there were, you know, things aren't always easy. And you really, you know, sponsorship, especially in a big company with a lot of people and and fewer and fewer jobs as you move up through the through the corporate ladder is just critical. Yeah. Coming up, you'll hear about how women can do a better job of drawing attention to the things they do well. I 
I love hearing that you had male sponsors at the company. You know, with everything that you hear in the news, we don't often see, you know, men helping women uh, move up the ranks. Um, were What were the skills that you would say that you had acquired over the years that really contributed to your success? Yeah, the skill. Um, first and foremost, I think resilience um, is, is a big one. Um, things didn't always go my way. I, uh, the first store that I applied for, I didn't get, but I got the second one. And the first, uh, district I applied for, I didn't get, but then I got the second one. And then the, I applied to become a regional director three times and got turned down three times before finally the fourth one, they came to me and said, we think this would be a good fit for you. And then looking back on it, um, it did end up being great. I was probably a much better fit for the one that I actually ended up getting, um, which was uh, I was from New Jersey and this one was in upstate New York. So it just it made sense. I probably um, I, I don't know if I would have done well in the first three. But at the time, it was just devastating. You know, I mean, it's very easy to get to, to get down yeah. and internalize that or get angry with the people that make the decision. And, you know, why, you know, why not me and what's wrong? And, you know, what did you what, do in those moments when you found out you didn't get it? Yeah. So I think I think what I did that was different than others that I've seen in that in that position is I made it really uncomfortable for the people that were making the decision <laughs> to not do it again, because I would go to them and say, OK, now I want to know why yeah. not me. Well, we were looking for no, 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 no. Like, what about me? Do I need to change? Okay, I get that this guy had, you know, maybe his numbers were a little bit better, or he was a little bit better geographic fit for New York City is what was one of the markets that we looked at or that I applied for. Um, but what about me? What do I need to work on? And really, um, but be ready. You know, most people don't want to do that because you sort of make yourself vulnerable. Mm -hmm. You need to be ready to make the changes. If they say, you know, it's something about your approach. It's easy if it's if it's numbers because we're operators and we're numbers driven. That's easy. Great. Okay, this metric I need to impact X amount percent. But if it's something in your approach or in your soft skills, it's a lot more difficult um, to sort of change your DNA that way. And um, but be ready to do it. So I did. And I was. And then when I did those things, the other thing I did was I made sure people knew it. And I think that um, people that I've seen, and particularly women and then women I talk to that are in other uh, businesses and other industries, um, we don't do a good job of drawing attention to the things that we do well sometimes, mm -hmm. right? So it's, it feels uncomfortable. It feels like my bragging. Well, that's what men do. Um, and you know, you just need to be ready to do that if you're going to be in an environment where the people you're competing with are other or men. Um, so I, so I always asked the decision maker, what do I need to do? What do I need to do to get the next one? And then I was always prepared to do that, those things, right? It wasn't just like, you know, I asked them and then said, okay, well, I don't agree with you that my approach is too rough. So, you know, that's your problem, not mine. No, it's my problem because you're the decision maker. And if I wanted, if I want to move up, I do need to adapt to the way you want to see, you know, that role be. So it's interesting. So resilience, I mean, um, I think it's, it's, it was definitely hard at times, but it was never to the point where I, I thought, um, boy, I just can't do this or I wouldn't have stayed there for a quarter century, right? Did someone teach you that approach and give you that advice or did you just have that within you? You knew what you needed to do to figure out how to make the promotion happen. Yeah, I think I, I think it was just me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't think anyone ever really articulated it. Um, but now when I talk to other women that are coming up, I, I talk about mm -hmm. resilience a lot and just try to try to paint the picture. I think I sort of figured it out. But, 
you know, not after the first one. Right. right? Yeah. I turned down a couple times before before I figured out how to how to make it work. So um, you mentioned that there really weren't a lot of women in your industry and company as you were working your way up at Renta Center, but now it seems like you've taken on an, an initiative to really help more women in the workplace. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So um so for years, just in the environment I was in, I always tried to I always tried to fit in and not be the woman in the group, um, and just be one of the guys and and um, not ever draw attention or, or to any of the differences in uh, in our experiences. But you know, looking back, our experiences were definitely different. Um, you know, I yeah, I can point to lots of things that were just different. You know, as, as a as a woman initially, and then um, I had twins along the way. And then I was a working mom. And, you know, we just we just had different things going on in our lives, you know, the male folks, the male employees and me. Um, so I after after convincing myself for years and years that I just needed to be one of the guys, I realized about two years ago that, you know, that for other women to come up through the organization, especially now, you know, I think I was I was maybe still in the group of the the generation I guess you could call it that because it's been 25 years where you know people change jobs mm-hmm. less often but today uh, people just won't stay if they get into an environment um, that they don't look around and see other people like them whether um, you know whether it's women or African American or any other group they're just not going to stay around if they don't see other people like them moving up and you know and around them um, so I uh, with a, a couple of us, um, you know, woman from our HR department, um, two women from our legal department, and myself as an operator got together about two years ago and said, hey, let's sort of formalize this and let's let's create a women's leadership initiative in the company, which there had never been before. And um, and let's see how we can how we can help the women in the company and then the company. You know, I mean, we were we're not going to hold on to good, talented women if we don't have something like this and if we don't start being really intentional about what we want it to look like is it's not going to happen on its own or it would have already happened. So, um, so that was the first time I really stepped out of, I'm just one of the guys to no, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an operator. I'm an executive. I work for the company. I'm a loyal employee for a quarter century, but I'm also a woman and I'd love to see other women, um, come up through the company. And I'd love to see a lot more women be able to get to where I am. And then I just like to see women get, um, get ahead in life more. I have a daughter, you know, she's in college and she goes out into the world. I, you know, I'd like, I'd like things to be easier for her than they were for me. So, um, so we started this, uh, initiative and now two years later we have, um, you know, our male executives are involved in Mm -hmm. it. Our CEOs involved in it. Um, you know, we're, we're reaching the people that are in the field and our corporate office. So, uh, it's really turned into something, really awesome. What does the program look like? What's involved? So some of it is mentoring. So we sort of, uh, we first started started with our corporate office because everyone was in the same place and it was easier. So we created mentoring circles where the, the women executives and, and senior directors um, were mentors for other women in the organization at the manager and hourly level. Uh, it's been more challenging to kind of get that out to the women in the field because they're so spread out. Mm-hmm. We have you know two thousand plus stores everywhere, 
you know, across the country and in Hawaii and Puerto Rico. And, you know, it's hard to get all of them together. But we get them together for a conference every year, um, which is actually coming up next week. So uh-huh. um, so this will be the second one that we've done. And we keep them for an extra day, you know, on top of a leadership conference that we do with everybody. We bring in speakers. Our, our male executives at the top of the organization are there. So they get one-on-one time with them. Um, and, uh, you know, we do a panel. And some of us tell our story, you know, particularly mine because it resonates with, mm-hmm. you know, they're all women from the field. So um, so they can they can start to, to, to see that there is a path. And if they happen to be the only female district manager in their region, which is very common that, you know, that there, there's just not that many of them in the field to start with, um, they can see that there are other people that did move up through the organization. And, you know, over time, hopefully that that helps more people to become in executive positions. That must feel really good that you started this whole program and you can tell that it's already making an impact within the organization. Yeah, it does feel good. I mean, the, it, it's never as fast as you want it to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, but but we had to we had to start somewhere. And, and and it's definitely it's got everybody's attention. Everybody's focused on it. And and again, if you're not if you're not intentional about what you want to do, um, nothing's going to change. It, it may not still not change as quickly as you want it to. But I feel confident things are moving in the right direction now because I have all of the right people's attention. Um, so yeah, it does. It feels great. Actually. It feels like, again, I'm doing something not just for the women, but I feel for the company, it's the right thing to do. You know, 50% of our customers are women. Yeah. So we should have better representation, right. you know, in our stores, at our district manager levels, at our executive levels, who better to understand our customer and, you know, what they like, how to market to them, everything than, than other women. As a leader of one of uh, of this company that's been around for for decades, uh, actually, when did the company start? Oh gosh, the company started back in the concept from in the nineteen sixties. So as as, as Rena Center, it was uh, sometime in the in the eighties. But yeah, it's been around a long time. So as you've taken on new roles over the years, what risks have you taken in this company that's just kind of a already moving and going? risks. I would say stepping out of operations and into into franchising was the biggest risk I ever took um, because I was definitely on, you know, still that linear path, you know, up. So, you know, trying trying to, you know, advance to the top of the organization. Um, and that was a sidestep. Um, but one at the time that I, you know, I looked at and said, I know how to do operations and this role is going to teach me um, finance and marketing and purchasing and all these other training that I, up until then, just had people that did, mm-hmm. right? You know, so somebody does that and then we deliver the training. Someone decides what the marketing is going to be and then we make sure it happens in the stores. So that was the biggest risk because they they didn't leave my position open when I left it, right? And there were only about six <laughs> six of those positions in the company. So it wasn't like if I said a year into it, hey, I'm not really happy doing this, I could just go back yeah. and the guy that got my job was just going to step aside for me. <laughs> so, um, but again, it worked out, it you know, couldn't have worked out better. It's very um, uh, rewarding, fulfilling to be able to work with, with entrepreneurs and, and um you know, I've over the years considered it myself. Why don't I just go and open some stores? I, you know, I know this business really well, and I'm sure I could get funded for it and and open my own stores. And um, gone back and forth mentally with doing that. And and today, I'm just happy helping other people do yeah. that. Helping you know these 
these investors get into something that they wouldn't have seen otherwise and helping, you know, folks that my colleagues from years and years get with somebody who's, um, you know, who's going to give them a, a different career path and make them an owner operator and give them some percentage of their business in some cases. So, um, so that's, you know, that's, that's fun. So in that first year, you really couldn't fail because you didn't have the plan B to be able to go back. So how did you <laughs> how did you set yourself yeah. up for success to figure everything out? And yeah. what were your bosses looking for for you to be able to do to know that, okay, you hit your goals, you were going to be able to stay in this position and thrive? Yeah. So um, no, no, there was no going back. It was like, <laughs> we definitely, definitely were going just, just that way. Um, I think that at at the time initially i think that our the company was really just looking for the business to stabilize you know we were actually our franchisees weren't really happy we were sort of um declining a little bit in our number of stores um i think they were looking for that just to for the franchisees to not be unhappy anymore and for us to stop declining stores i think what happened was because of the team that we had um or we put together over over you know it took several months to do we surprised them and and way exceeded their expectations. So we were um, at the time offering this brand. Um, it wasn't even we weren't even offering franchises of the Rena Center brand. It was called Color Time, and uh, we had not ever offered the Rena Center brand, and um, and we did we did so well. But of course, everybody wanted it because that's the brand everybody understands and knows. And you know, I don't know that you guys have ever heard of Color Time, but you know what Rena Center is. Mm -hmm. um, so. We we stabilized everything, you know, that's sort of the relationship with our franchisees, stopped the decline of the business, but then started to grow it again, mm. which I don't think anyone really expected us to. And then through that got the attention of the corporation to say, well, well, wait a minute. If we can if we can grow this business and this this whole franchise because we thought we needed to own everything you know we we thought all the all the stores have to be owned and we had this little franchise division that was a couple hundred stores while the corporation had twenty five hundred stores, mm. um, and then people started to say well maybe maybe we can do a little bit more with that so over the course and I'm speeding it up a lot it took us a while but eventually we were able to lobby, lobby the company to let us try selling the Renaissance brand so we. Um, took some underperforming stores because those are the only ones at the time they were willing to try and do this experiment with and um, and sold them to one of the folks that I described before, um, you know, an investor that had a, a bunch of different businesses, very smart business person, um, a family, and um, and they bought 40 stores across a whole different wide uh, geography and did phenomenally well with them. Mm -hmm. Just just really, we paired them up with an operator that really understood the business that was in their in their uh, area. And, uh, and they turned the stores around where we running them as a corporation were not able to up until that point. So that got everybody's attention. And then over time, we said, you know, we, we think we can do more of this just let's, you know, not everywhere. Uh, we're not going to make the whole company franchise, but there are just some areas where a local operator, a local entrepreneur is just going to know his or her local market better and be able to, you know, touch the employee and the customer closer and where it just makes sense. And so that's now our articulated strategy, yeah. you know, that, you know, strategically do some more markets like we did in Baltimore and Washington where it makes sense. And we think that, you know, franchisee will just do better than we do. How do you find that perfect franchisee? Do you what is the marketing strategy behind attracting that that person? Yeah, it's interesting. So, if a good uh good 
good franchise development person that really understands that community. Um, we don't really do a lot of advertising or really any advertising for franchise sales. Right. Um, we uh, promote sort of our story when we do franchise transactions, but it's really word of mouth. You know, the folks that we have are very happy with their investment. They're very happy with um, their support. It's never perfect. Uh, we can always improve, but they're generally happy with 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 everything that they're doing, and they're telling their friends who are also in this sort of small, large, multi-unit investor community, and um, and they're just coming to us. And we probably have we have more of them than we have markets that we said, you know, we want to we want to franchise right now. That so sounds like it's, a good business problem. It's a nice, it's a nice place to, it's a nice <laughs> a place to be. Problem. So we can really be, you know, picking the right partner is so important because this is not. We're we're not you know selling them a car and then sending them on their way. This is a you know strategic partnership that we're going to have with them for twenty years, you know ten year franchise agreements with ten year renewals. So um, it can be great. And so far we've picked awesome partners. Um, if we pick somebody who's not great and it doesn't really work out with them and us, and and they you know they want to do things a different way or they want to do you know something with the brand that we don't want to do um it can be it could be really hard on all of us so so we're very careful you know we spend time we take them to dinner and you know spend a lot of time with them we visit their businesses um you know talk to their employees just we try and really get a sense of what kind of franchisee they're going to be and uh, and a lot of it is 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 finding the person who's who's coachable who understands that you're getting into the rent-to-own business um, because you don't want to build your own mousetrap. You don't want to go try and figure this this thing out. That's why people get into franchises versus just opening their own restaurant. You know, and you 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 do a Taco Bell instead of just opening your own taco shop because Taco Bell's already figured it all out right. how to do it. So just follow their model. And we look for the same. Um, there's some there's some ways that they can be a little bit entrepreneurial in the way you know the 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 parameters we set for franchisees. But at the same time, we say. We fig- we've been doing this since the 1960s. You know, we really know this business well. We've done very well with it. Um, just follow our model, you know. And and the person who does that, who really comes in and says, okay, you know, I'll I'll look for those tiny tweaks along the way, but I don't want to modify how we do this. Are those are the most successful people, right. probably in any franchise, but ours too. Something I'm very curious about is like, what is the organizational structure at the top? Who do you report to, and what is the dynamic between all the leaders of the company? Yeah, it's interesting. So um, I report to the CEO, and our company has a very um, almost we don't have a lot of layers of management. You know, I've over over time the company's had that, and then it hasn't. And um, I think our CEO currently, um, the way he has it set up gives him the ability to really be um, involved and not have all these, because when you have all these layers of management, the message up and down seems like it gets mm-hmm. diluted and people put their own little flair. Well, what he said was <laughs> this, but what he really meant was yeah. this, you know, and this way you hear it, we're all hearing the same thing from from the, uh, you know, from the horse's mouth, so to speak. So <laughs> so it's the CEO and then there's, um, there are uh, one, two, three executive vice presidents. One, uh, I'm one of them. A couple of senior vice presidents and some division vice presidents that um, that run all of our stores. Uh, you know, three people that just run the day-to-day operations of the stores. And then we have a few other VPs, but we are not um, – not a you know one of these companies that has you know tons and tons of vice presidents and all these people at the top. Um, we you know we've we've sort of trended that way over time, but right now we're 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 pretty lean, and um, 
And uh, we collaborate a lot. We have a team meeting every Monday for several hours, but everybody everybody is in the room with the CEO and um, you know, everybody has the opportunity to hear exactly what the other person's saying and not have the message be diluted, which is just fantastic. Yeah, that's sounds- the most efficient yeah. way to run a company. Coming up, why showing your career and imperfections to your kids is a good idea. You can connect with us at socialflyny.com and follow us on Instagram at entrepreneistas. Check out all our latest episodes at entrepreneistapodcast.com. Do you guys do any like um, executive retreats or I guess any types of like team bonding types of things? We have over time. (laughs) That's a great question. We have not, but um, we... We went for a while with um, our HR department being run by someone who wasn't necessarily an HR professional, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. So that's something like where where we have done stuff, stuff like that before. It was always someone in HR, the head of HR saying, hey, you know, it's probably time to get everybody off site and do that. Um, so we just within the last 60 days brought back someone who was with the company previously, who was just a really strong HR person mm-hmm. with that HR sort mm-hmm. of team building mentality. So um, I think that's probably on the horizon again, but we haven't done that in several years, probably like five years. Are a lot of the VPs, have they been there for a long time like you as well? Um, about half. So, uh, well, I, a long time is 10 plus years is yeah. a long time. So yeah. I, yeah, I, I, don't want to measure it against 25, but yeah, 10 plus years, most, most of the VPs have, um, the operators are all 20 plus years. So it's interesting. So it's kind of like you get into this business, it sort of gets into your, in your blood and, 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 and and sometimes people leave and we have a fair number of people that left and then came back because they just, you know, I don't know. The grass isn't always greener out there. (laughs) And it's, um, and, and maybe because the, the industry itself is small. So, um, you know, so that keeps people, you know, from branching out. You know, I'm, I've only ever been in the rent-owned industry. I don't know anything about restaurants. So, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go work for Applebee's or something right, right, like right. that. But um, but also, again, it's it's fun. And it's one of those jobs where you can you can go and see different things, too. You're not in the same place every day, which is what I loved about it early on, too. Like, even when I was working in a store, I was getting out in the truck, even though that sounds crazy, but... You're, I love that. You're not stuck in an office yeah. all day. Like the day just flies by. And um, and then when you get to a district manager position, you have eight or 10 stores. You're driving all over the place. You're seeing different people, talking to different customers. And then you keep going up and up. And, you know, by the time you're division vice president, you're getting on a plane to see different pl- places that you oversee and um, and going to conferences. And, and so it's just it's an in- it's interesting work. It's yeah. not just, you know, we have a corporate headquarters and I went from this office because I was in this position to that right. one in the corner up there. You're all over the place. Yeah, that sort of goes back to the um, the investors that we're looking for. And why are they coming to us through word of mouth? And why are people telling us about, you know, telling each other about this? And investors are reaching out to us and we're not having to do any marketing. It's because the, biz- the business itself is doing really well. Um, it's really dominated by uh, really just Renna Center and our, our very worthy competitor, Aaron's. Um, but both of the companies have been trending very well. The segment, the sector is just doing well and, you know, continues to grow. Um, you know, our same store sales are, are positive and have been for some time now. So um, it's an interesting industry because um, we, we like to call it re- re- recession resistant 
if not proof, I was <laughs> resistant ask about that as um, times change. Yeah, so um, there there are always folks that are going to um, want or need our services, mm-hmm. um, and as times change, who those people are fluctuates. But there are always people that you know these are these are typically cash constrained folks or credit constrained folks. And um, and we provide them with the ability to to get the things that they wouldn't be able to get otherwise, um, which is another really cool part of the, of you know my journey and what's kept me around for so long because I really feel like the industry serves a need that people don't always realize, mm-hmm. and I I didn't realize when I went to uh, interview for the job and apply for it in the first store. I, you know, I looked around the store and I, I just didn't understand it. But I, I grew up in a household that we didn't, we didn't need to use, you know, we weren't cash constrained, uh, or credit constrained. So, um, you take sort of take certain things for granted, but if you were, you, it doesn't change the fact that you need a refrigerator if yeah. yours breaks. It doesn't change the fact that today, you know, you need to have a home computer for your child to be able to do their homework on to stay up in school. And if you can't go out and buy that or you can't get credit for it, where, where else are you going to get it? So if not for our industry, folks would have to do without things that they need. So um, it's 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 pretty cool to be able to, you know, to say that there, there aren't many people out there serving that need, but we are we are those people. And at the same time, the company has done well because, you know, because people do need us. Yeah. That must feel good to know that you're really making an impact there as well. Yeah, it yeah. it does. It does. You know, it's not. Um, you know, folks obviously are. You know, they're 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 paying us, and um, and they're they're probably paying a little bit more than they would if they went out and bought something retail, and they they know that and understand it coming in. But you know, so so is everything that you don't buy for cash outright. Yeah. And we're the first ones to say if you have, you know. $700 and you want to go buy that TV at, at a, a retailer, you should do that. Um, but people come to us for a variety of different reasons. And sometimes they just don't want to keep it. Mm-hmm. And that, that's becoming more and more prevalent now. Um, I think it's more acceptable than when I first started with the company to have something and not keep it, not pay full ownership on it and just keep upgrading. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about phones, people want a phone today and, and a year later or two years later, they want whatever the next version of that is. So, um, you know, 20 or 25 years ago, it was, you know, you work hard, you save your money, you buy something and then you don't, don't buy another one until you need it. Right. But now uh, everyone always wants the newest, latest, greatest TV and phone or whatever it is. So, um, so sometimes people come to us just because they don't, you know, they don't want to keep the same thing for a very long time. They want to change their furniture every year and not look at it for five or 10 years. That's who I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so something that Stephanie and I like to do is a surprise and delight. This is something we always recommend to our clients and oh, we do yeah. for our guests. So we actually got you a surprise. It's near your chair in the Entrepreneurista swag bag. Look down. Nope, right down there. Oh, my there gosh. There you go. Okay. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, that is fantastic. So lots of goodies for your nice. desk back at work or when you're on a plane <laughs> oh, and traveling. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm always writing down like little notes and taking notes in, in odd places and putting like little sticky notes on things and everything. So so a journal. Oh, that's so cool. Thank you very much. That's very nice. <laughs> you're so welcome. How has that's social great. media played a role in, in your business? So, um, again, I'm... I'm I am not the marketing expert because we have some really great, <laughs> great folks back uh, back at our office that do that. But um, 
but social media obviously is is a big uh, piece of our business today yeah. with our customer with all customers. So we're in all social media channels, trying to um, you know reach our customer where they want to be reached. So that's probably one of the biggest differences in the business today than mm. than um, when I first started. Obviously, is you know the whole digital and social media piece, and um, and and we like all companies are are trying to keep up and um, and get more presence on the web and through social media. Um, but um, and and more and more of our leads for our stores are coming through the web now through our website and and that business continues to grow faster than even you know the operators and stores can keep up with it sometimes you know we're we're used to people coming in or calling us on the phone and and seeing them and and um interacting with them and now we've got all these different uh new customers new business coming through um through our website and um I think that's just going to continue to be a bigger and bigger and bigger part of our our business going forward yeah, absolutely. Um, but at the same time, our business is kind of is is unique in the sense that because of what we do, we'll always need the brick and mortar business yeah. too. So mm-hmm. so it's it's not like we're we're sitting around talking about thinking that we're going to be Amazoned anytime soon because um you know we're we're leasing furniture and then we're having it returned. So we're we're always going to need brick and mortar stores to do that. Um, which is the, the other thing that kind of makes this this attractive to people that are looking to where they're going to invest their money because there's not very many many retail businesses that can say there's no way Amazon can do this you know there's no way people could just do this online there'll be some it's already a blend of brick and mortar and online but yeah. you know that whole omni-channel balance might shift back and forth but brick and mortar should i believe always be part of a big part of our business no, I, I agree with you. I think when you're buying furniture or big items for your house or apartment, like you need to see it, feel it, touch it, sit in it right. and make right. sure it's what you're what you're looking for. Right. Yes. Yes. You know, uh, TVs may be a little bit different right. story, um, but but furniture is a big, uh, big portion of our business. And um, and yeah, I think we'll always need the brick and mortar stores. Plus, our stores are so neighborhood and and so much of it of what we do is a relationship with the customer. Mm-hmm one-on-one like when i was a store manager i i got to know my customers and then after a couple of years you start to you start to know their families and you know you really it's because they could come in a lot of them most of them pay us um each week and a lot of them pay us in person every week so you really get to know them and um i think that aspect of it lends itself to brick and mortar too but at the same time there's another segment of customers that don't ever want to come to the store and you know we want to service those customers too through through the digital channel how what how did the organization learn digital marketing? Because everything has changed so much over the past five to ten years. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming let's say when Facebook first started, mm-hmm. you know, were the leaders in the company, including you, like, oh, we don't need this, or was the <laughs> yeah. company very open to change? Um, I think our marketing folks would say we were not open to change. <laughs> but luckily, um, over time we we um leaned on their expertise. Um it was it was difficult and still continues to be challenging for you know those of us who grew up in operations to understand that there's a different way of doing things than we've known for a quarter century so getting people to accept that this lead coming from the website into your into your store and you know we we do everything except you know short of ringing a bell when it comes in mm-hmm. you know we we have the the lead comes in and then we have a service that makes the phone ring and says you have a lead go look at it <laughs> and getting um getting the folks in the store 
to react to it the same way they would react to someone walking in yeah. and coming to the counter and saying, I need a TV is has been a lot more difficult than we than we thought it was. But we but we were very good at what we did in the stores for a very long time. And we have a lot of tenure, which is good. And sometimes it, it causes a challenge. And that is, you know, sort of that getting stuck in your ways. Um, I don't think anybody I think now we're at the point where everybody understands, yeah, this 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 is here to stay yeah. and we're going to have to adapt. And I think we we do a good job of trying to draw the you know the comparison to, well, when you buy something online, don't you want some kind of confirmation right away? Don't you expect to to know right away, have someone, you know, if not the computer tell you you got it, to have somebody call you to some kind of immediate response or, I mean, chatting or whatever, you don't want to wait until the store's done with the delivery to <laughs> to get back to you by then you're on to something else. So I think I think we're um we're better than we were a year ago and we'll keep getting better at that. But the business is definitely evolving to be something um a lot different than it was when I was yeah. running a store. What are you most excited about that's to come? I so I guess on a for the company, I'm excited about um, the you know the opportunities that exist it, for the company in in that di- digital channel in reaching our com- customer in different ways. We have this um, this kiosk business is what we call it called Acceptance Now, where we have um, sort of a, a a person or a, a digital presence inside retailers for people that um, that get turned down for credit. So that business continues to grow. I um, just think there's a lot of opportunities for the company as as it as long as it continues to evolve the way we're doing now and um, we keep an open mind about doing things different, which um, which we we've done a pretty good job. I think there's a lot of um, just a lot of potential for the company into the future. Um, for me personally, I I'm excited about the the role I'm in right now, being able to interact with the the uh, the folks that I get to interact with, you know, talking to people, you know, we've got franchisees that are owner operators of one store. We've got investors that, you know, own all these other businesses and all these other companies and really smart people um, and, and interacting with bankers and the folks at the, you know, in the stores and our customers um, is just, it's, it's so much fun. I mean, it's not always easy. Again, I'm, I'm the, uh, I'm the sort of the relationship liaison between the franchisees and the corporation mm-hmm. and, um, and, and uh, it's not always easy, but but uh, it's a blast, and I'm excited to continue to do that because we're as we continue to find uh, the right partners for these areas that we strategically we think would be better off under franchise control. We'll bring more interesting, you know, people into the into the company. We'll be able to provide more opportunities for some of my former um, colleagues or current colleagues to to be operating partners and become entrepreneurs. And I just I just think it's a blast being able to 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 know that someone two or three years later is is talking about their investment and how well they've done for themselves and their family mm. and their business and they want to buy in more because of something my team mm. did. Uh, you know, three years ago. So it's great. That is really great. How do you keep things balanced for yourself and in your home life when things get so crazy at work? Yeah. So um, it depends if is is this, um, you know, when the kids are home from college or not. (laughs) (laughs) Balance is easier when it's just, it's just my husband and myself. But um, so uh, two kids at, at school in college and when they, and when they come home, a lot of it is, um, just trying to spend time with them, mm-hmm. and it's it's a lot easier to sort of 
put aside the noise of of work when you know you only have a certain amount of time during the breaks to spend time with them and uh and uh and you just sort of you know tune out the work stuff as much as you can unfortunately you get to a certain level in the company and you can never really completely shut it off. So you're always, you know, checking email every once in a while. And, and, um, and, but I work with some great people that, you know, would only call or text if there was, you know, after hours, if there was something really that they needed me for. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, under normal circumstances, I, I try to, I try to work, work and, and home have always been intertwined for me. Um, I don't know if that's good or bad, but I have to, deal with home stuff while I'm at work and I deal with work stuff while I'm at home. And as long as I can make it all work in the end and, and, and I have been able to for a long time, it, I think for me anyway, that works. I'm not one of these people that says, well, I compartmentalize and I only do work when I'm at work and I only do focus on my family when I'm, when I'm home. That'd be great, but it just, it's never, it's never worked for me. I do try to between the office and home as much as I can, uh, hit the gym exercise mm-hmm. seems like it's a, it's a nice transition point for me. <laughs> you know, if I can, if I can uh, go to the gym, then sort of the stuff that I was aggravated about at work is less by the time I get out. And then I'm a little bit, you know, more focused when I get home. Um, sometimes I bypass the gym, obviously like everybody else does, but I feel like when, when I can do that, it, it helps me a lot. So I'm a new mom. So I wanted to know, do you have any advice from when you first had your kids and you were balancing work and uh, being a new mom? Gosh. Um, Yeah, I think it's giving giving yourself a break as far as being perfect at everything, you know, in the kids lives. I I did. uh, I did struggle a little bit at the beginning with, um, you know, particularly when they started school not being able to be the mom that did everything in school, mm. right? I mean, I frequently couldn't, you know, couldn't do <laughs> most of those things. Um, and uh, and at the beginning, kids don't really understand, you know, well, what's the difference between, you know, jobs that yours makes you go and like spend three days somewhere. Um, my son, when uh, he was like around seven, I remember one, one time he just, he came to me and he was like, you know, mom, um, you know, Timmy's mom works too. She works in the library at the school. So it was like, it was his way of saying, Hey, you know, I mean, other moms work, but she, you know, she's, she's around at the school and, you know, so they just don't understand, yeah. right. That there's, you know, there's different, there's different types of jobs and, and, uh, you know, I'd love to be at the school. I'd love to, you know, work in the library, but you know, mom's got to pay the bills too. So, um, but over time it just, it's normal for them. And then I, I think, um, I think you set a great example, mm-hmm. As as a working mother too, my mom worked. My mom was a nurse, and she worked crazy shifts, and you know, sort of set that example for me. You know, I mean, we we were used to having her not around all the time, but when we needed her to be around, she was around, yeah. and it made us much more self reliant. I mean, we did a lot of things to ourselves, and um, that's where you, you got know, your resilience, you got, you got maybe, <laughs> and for sure, confidence, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I think it's just resisting the pressure to say, you know, oh, you know, I'm, I'm the mom that didn't bake the cupcakes. I went and bought them. So what, you know, <laughs> I've already <laughs> so, accepted. I'm definitely not going to be the mom that makes the cupcakes. Right. Yeah. So go to, go to a nice place. I mean, there's lots of great places in New York city yep. to buy cupcakes. They're probably going to be better than anything. Well, for sure. Anything I would have baked. So yep, no one wants my cupcakes. Just, just do that. Based on uh, everything you've learned over your career, is there a piece of advice or something you wished you could tell yourself when you were first starting out on your journey? Yeah. So 
I would say I would tell myself to um, draw more attention to my uh, successes. Mm. You know, I think I thought early on, and I've seen a lot of people think, if I just do a really great job, if I just work harder than everyone else, if I just, you know, get my numbers better than everyone else, if I am in the office longer than everyone else, someone's going to notice that and tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, we want you to take the next promotion or we want you to move up. And the reality is, um, for some people that happens, right? I mean, that that's great. And, you know, that, kudos to your boss for noticing and picking the right person. Um, but I, I, I use the, uh, the phrase with our women's leadership group now is to say, nominate and advocate for yourself because mm-hmm. no one else is going to do it better than you, if at all. I mean, you're lucky if anyone does it at all, but no one's ever going to do it as well. You're not bragging. If you did something well, you need to make sure the right people know that you did it in the right way. But if you don't draw attention to your accomplishments, someone else is going to draw attention to theirs and and you're not you're not going to be able to move up if if that's what you want to do. Now, if you're content being where you are and you want to just you know, you want to say you want to give somebody else the credit for it or or defer more to the team, the team and you should always give your team credit, but but if you're leading the team, you you get credit for it too, right? Mm-hmm. So you should you should own that. You should be proud of it because if you put the team together and led the team to a success, then then you own the success. I couldn't agree more with that, and that's really great advice. What would you say being an intrapreneista means to you? Yeah. So for me, it it um it's it's I chose the corporate path. You know, ultimately, where I you know struggled for years, like do I want to do I want to do my own thing or do I want to be in the corporation? But for me, it means just being in a position where I can help. I can help other entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. You know, I can help create in some cases, or other people just help make their businesses better. And I can help expose people that only came from a corporate background to being entrepreneurs and working in their own businesses. And uh, and at this point in my life, that's I think that's where. It's where I go from here. I just really love being able to do to do that and help other people do it. And and uh, and that gives me the satisfaction. I love that. Kathy, thank you so much for being with us. We've learned so much from you today. Where can everyone find, follow you and Rent-A-Center all over social? Um, well, rentacenter.com is our website and, and you can rent a centers all over all over social too but um i am not um on anything other than linkedin so if you were going to follow follow me I, i'm but i'm pretty active on linkedin perfect well that's the right platform for you to be on in the, the corporate world for sure so we'll definitely find and follow you there thank you so much for coming and thank you everyone for tuning in i'm stephanie and i'm courtney and this is the best business meeting we've ever had Thanks for listening.